Thank you, ladies. Christmas time. Who doesn't love it? Well, the music and everything about this time of the year. I've been listening to Christmas music for the last three weeks at least. Traveling yesterday, coming back from down my parents' place, I would go back and forth to each one. Whoever had a commercial, I was going to the next one. I love this time of year. Love the music and everything about it. But I'm sure you've noticed that in all of the issues that are going on around us, there's an incredible story. In the middle of all the Christmas cards and the Christmas trees and the Christmas letters, the Christmas plays and the Christmas party is an amazing Christmas story. There are times in our life when we find it getting lost in the middle of it all, in the middle of all that's going on, and even surprised every once in a while when it's brought up. You know that many stores have been not allowed to say certain things or not allowed to give certain greetings, and others are. So that after a while, when someone gives you one, you're actually surprised by it. Friday night, I took the opportunity. I hadn't been down to my parents' place since the summer, and so I wanted to spend a, a little time with them. So I went down Friday night, and of course, you've got to stop at Fields and Stream and Gander Mountain and Cabela's. I don't know why. It just happens that way. The car just or truck seems to go that way. And I was checking out of, of, of Gander Mountain. This little girl looked at me and said, Merry Christmas. I didn't know what to say. I was so surprised by her enthusiasm and excitement behind it. I said, Honey, Merry Christmas. Enjoy the experience. And she said, I will. You know and I know that in the middle of all the things, every once in a while, if we're not careful, the real essence and meaning of it can get lost or is somewhat confused or at least a little muddled. Hard to believe, but there are actually less people that find Christ in December than any other time of the year when you would think it, sometimes the opposite. What happens, though, in the middle of all of that is the story gets kind of watered down in the midst of all the other things that are going on. Family Circus cartoon a number of years ago was the little girl telling her baby brother the story of Christmas, and this was her version. Jesus was born just in time for Christmas up at the North Pole. Surrounded by eight tiny reindeer and the Virgin Mary, then Santa Claus showed up with lots of toys and stuff and some swaddling clothes and the three wise men and the elves sang Christmas carols with the little drummer boy while Scrooge helped Joseph trim the tree. Now that's just a hair confused. Little girl in kindergarten whose mom had just had a baby before Christmas went back to school and the teacher said, how did it go? Little girl said, well, he's all right, but there's a whole lot of things around the house that we needed more. Sometimes that's the world's view of Christmas. It's a great story, but let's get back to Christmas. I love to watch all the Christmas specials. We have watched them so many times, so often, that I can rehearse every single line and say them all down pat. And I'm still going to watch them. One of my favorites, of course, whose isn't, is Charlie Brown's Christmas and the Christmas tree and all that. I can't believe you guys did that and pulled that up. (laughs) But in the middle of all of that, do you remember that one character who came out and said, let me tell you the real meaning of Christmas. Who was it? Linus. And all of a sudden, in the middle of all the hype and activity going on, he shares a Christmas story. And of course, Charles Schultz, who's a believer, wanted to make sure in the middle of all the things going on, this amazing story is elevated and put out. This morning, I want to talk about the essence of Christmas. I want to back up for a moment, and not just at that particular event, I want to go back in time for just a second to look at all the aspects of this amazing story. I want to share this morning the incarnation and God becoming flesh and four simple statements that go with that. The first one is this. It's an idea that permeates all the New Testament. 
So often when you think of the Christmas story, you automatically go to Luke and Matthew, and we will in a second. But the idea of God becoming man, God coming with us, Emmanuel, is a story that goes well beyond a verse or a chapter. It's all the way through the New Testament. The ones that we're more familiar with is in Matthew chapter 1. Let me read it. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her husband, was wanting to be faithful to the law, and he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, and he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. The version that we're familiar with in Luke 1 goes this way. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is a relative of Mary, who eventually bears John the Baptist, God sent an angel, the same one, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Her name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He'll be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he'll reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she was unable to conceive and now is in her sixth month. For with God, nothing is impossible. I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May it be fulfilled. And the angel left her. Now, when you and I consider the Christmas story and Emmanuel, God with us, we normally go to those two places. They're incredible stories. But the story of God coming to humanity is all the way through the New Testament and Matthew and Luke and John and Philippians chapter 2 that we'll see next Sunday morning. In Hebrews, it says this, long ago. God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways, but now in these days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is a reflection of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's very being, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. I love John's rendition of 1 John when he says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at, with our own hands of touch, we proclaim concerning him, he's the word of life. And that life appeared, we saw it, and we testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Incredible story, never to be confined to a verse or a chapter, a song or a story, but all the way through the New Testament, God is saying, I love this world so much that I came to be in it. Second thing you need to understand is not only is it an idea that permeates all the New Testament, it is absolutely an idea critical to our faith. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's extremely important for us to accept, embrace, and declare the truth of the incarnation. John says this in 1 John, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that doesn't isn't from God. 
In Luke chapter 1, we find the story of Mary. Mentions three times that she was a virgin. The third time in verse 34, she asked the question, how? How can this be when I'm still a virgin? The angel goes on to tell her that God's spirit is going to come upon her. That divine connection will take place. And then he says this, nothing is impossible with God. That's the Christmas message. You see, you take out the miracle of Christmas and it's empty, but you put God in the middle of it, then all of a sudden the virgin birth, the incarnation, God coming into the world as a baby, as human as we are, yet divine, it all fits together. Why? Because God has nothing of impossible things that he wants to share with us. When the Bible tells us that God's son miraculously entered a woman's body, as unbelievable as it sounds, it's true. Believe it as truth, and you trust Scripture in all other areas as well. Doubt it, and you begin to doubt the other unusual events in Scripture. Then Scripture loses its relevancy, and more importantly, its authority. When Jesus rose from the dead, all the Gospels share the story. Only one, the story of Thomas who doubted that Jesus had risen. He heard all the stories, but wondered if it was true. And so one day, a week later, Jesus shows up and declares himself to Thomas. And Thomas makes a declaration, my Lord and my God, first time that those two things were put together. This is not just our Savior. This is God himself. And then Jesus looks at him and says, blessed are those who see and believe. But even more blessed are those who don't see and still believe. Our understanding of the incarnation is not only important because of what it declares about who he is and what he's done, it declares a real critical truth about Jesus. You see, once we understand the incarnation, we understand Jesus. When John begins to give his version of the story, he gives it very simply and sums it up in just a few verses in book, the Gospel of John and says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God was God. Get that? And that word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Now that phrase in verse 14, the word became flesh, the Greek for this is sarx. What's interesting is that's not the Greek word for flex. The Greek word for flesh here is soma, which means my fleshly body. But it's more than that. Sarks that he uses here in this context is more than just flesh or taking on what you see on the outside. When he says the word became flesh, it literally means that he took on the soul of a man, the nature of a man, the mind of a man. In other words, John says when God became flesh, it's more than just God being in an earthly body. It was God literally taking the likeness of a man. He thought like a man. He acted like a man. It's incredibly important for us to understand. You see, as a child, when I heard about Jesus being tempted, I thought, well, he's God. He knows what the devil is doing. But what I did in that is I put a God mind in a human body. When John says he became flesh, he not only took on a body like us, he took on the mind of a man. And our weaknesses he understands, which is why Paul tells us later, when Christ is tempted, he was tempted in all ways just like us. He literally was which essentially means he knows exactly how we feel. You may or may not have heard the story in the very first time that local anesthesia was used in a surgery. It was all the way back to February of 1921. A guy by the name of Evan Kane, Dr. Kane, had for 37 years done 4,000 appendectomies and really believed that it could be done with a local anesthetic instead of going all the way under. 
He tried to convince them that it really would work. And he asked for a volunteer so that he could do it on them or perform it on them so that they could see it really did work. No one wanted to volunteer. Who would? They were afraid they would somehow wake up in the middle of the surgery. And to be honest with you, nobody wanted to be awake for any surgery at all. I wouldn't. I said, if I have to get a hangnail removed, put me out. And so it was very difficult to find anybody that was willing to do it. And finally he did and performed that surgery with local anesthesia. Now, if you've heard the story, you know the outcome of that. It wasn't the only the idea that it, for the first time performed local anesthesia. The issue in all of that was the patient because the patient was Dr. Kane himself. He did it on himself because he couldn't find another volunteer. And so he volunteered to be the patient. And to prove his point, he operated on himself. The doctor became a patient in order to convince the patients to trust the doctor. The story of a doctor who became his own patient is mild compared to the story of God who became human. He did that so that he, we could believe that the healer knows our hurts. He understands our pain. He voluntarily became one of us. He placed himself in our position. He suffered our pain. He felt our fears. Rejection, he felt it. Temptation, he knew it. Loneliness, he experienced it. Death, he tasted it. So that he could say, I know exactly how you feel. It's not God at a distance somewhere, less concerned or unconcerned with what you and I are facing. It is a God who tabernacled, who tented with us so that he could know and we could know that he understands everything I face. Every feeling I have, every emotion I'm going through, every temptation I have to deal with. He really does understand. And instead of remaining at a distance somewhere, isolated from us, he came and experienced life with us so that we knew he understood us. You see, it wasn't God playing a game in a human body. It was God literally becoming man. It's one thing to say, isn't it incredible that God would take on a human body, that the creator of the world would become a creature? What's even more amazing is when you realize he truly became man. Not God... In a human body, he truly became man. Now, there are two extremes to that. One is to make him so human he's not divine. There are a lot who do that, and they see him as a great teacher and a great philosopher. And the other extreme is to make him so divine he's not human. Both are wrong. We need to understand that God as much as, was much a man as we were, yet kept his divinity. And when he came, he came to relate to us, and not just to relate to us, but to show us how much he loved us and to rescue us and redeem us as the only sacrifice that he knew was acceptable for the sin of humanity. A punishment needed to be given out for all of our sins. A sacrifice needed to be made. So God himself came to die on our behalf. Galatians 4 says, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, almost as if at that very perfect moment, God peeled back the layers of heaven and sent forth his son, born of a woman, to redeem us. And to set us free. You're familiar with Paul Harvey, that rest of the story kind of guy that all of us have, all right, the older of us have grown up with. You may have heard him or somebody else tell the story of a man who was sitting at a window on a cold wintry day and watched the sparrows constantly flying in, seeing their reflection and hitting that cold window and falling to the ground. Wanted to do something, anything that he could do, but nothing seemed to work. He felt so helpless. He thought, if I could just become one of them, I'd fly out there and lead them to safe 
safety, where it's warm and they could be rescued. If I could just become like one of them. It's exactly what God did. He saw us like sheep going astray. And the only way that he could lead us to the right path, the right path back to himself, back to God, that we were created to be was to become like us and let us see how much he loved us. The incarnation not only tells us a lot about Jesus, it certainly declares a lot about God. In those verses in John, the gospel of John, the word was in the beginning, the beginning was word, and that word became flesh and dwelt among us. Is a picture of God coming to the human scene. Somebody translated and the word came and dwelt among us or tabernacled with us simply like this. God came downstairs. How many times have you heard somebody refer to God as the man upstairs? What I love about that particular rendition is God came downstairs to be with us, to stay with us. And not only just simply came downstairs, it says he made his dwelling with us. He tabernacled with us. He lived here. If the incarnation teaches us anything, it teaches us that God was willing to leave heaven to come come to earth and be with us. The phrase made his dwelling among us literally in Hebrews means God tabernacled with us. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle represented the place where you could find God. If they really wanted to find God, they went to the tabernacle. So John, to help these people understand what God did for them, said, God came down to you. And he didn't just stand around. When he came to us, he got right in the middle of our lives, and he camped. And he said, I'm accessible. I am here. You can come to me. No more separation between us. You can come to me with any situation, any circumstance you have. The incarnation, as unbelievable as the story is, says a number of things, and it simply says this. You can reach God. You can know him. You can touch him. You can see him. You can find him. That's what this event is all about. That God isn't out there at a distance somewhere. God literally came, revealed his love for us. And not only just for a moment, but for a period of time, literally spent time with us to show us that he really does understand how we feel. In every circumstance we face, Not leaving himself out there somewhere, but coming so that we could genuinely understand that not only did God so love the world, he loved you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Christmas season is a time of unbelievable joy. Incredible delight, amazing enthusiasm, everything that anyone could imagine this season to be it is. But it's also for some people a difficult moment. They feel like no one understands where they are. Everyone else is happy but them. They feel like the world isn't the same anymore and something has dramatically changed and they just wish it were like it used to be. What this story says is he he understands that. He knows how you feel. He knows where you're at. He knows what your struggles are. For the majority of us in the room, we're thrilled with this time of year. We're thrilled with our lives and what's going on around us. But for a few of us in the room, as it was in the first service, it's not that easy. First Christmas without someone you love? Difficult, uncertain, and not even sure what 2015 has. I'm here to tell you he knows that. He gets it, he sees it, he understands it, and he genuinely, honestly cares. He so loved us that he gave us everything to draw us to himself and to offer us life. And maybe not life like you think it should be, or that everyone else has, but life. 
that deep down inside can be lived to the fullest until one day we spend all of eternity celebrating what he came to give. That's what the story is all about. It is angels, shepherds, wise men, Mary and Joseph, and a lot that goes into the story. But it's an amazing gift of God himself to humanity to pull us in and reveal to us what he's like and to say, I really do understand. And I'm right beside you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing love and grace. I thank you for the gift of life and the gift of this season, for the songs and the melodies and the events and the circumstances and all the joy that we'll be able to experience over the next few weeks. I thank you that we can do it together as a family of God here in a number of ways over the next couple of weeks. And as we continue to unpack this amazing story, may you reveal yourself to us over and over and over again. So for the thousandth time we've heard it, May it be as fresh and enjoyable as the very first time we understood why you came for us. Now, for those of you this morning, if you just say, keep your heads bowed for a minute, who are one of those who said, I, I know everyone else around me is doing well, but man, I needed to know that this morning. I needed to know that he hears, that he cares, that he understands, that he feels my pain, that he gets what I'm dealing with and you'd love for me to pray for you, you can come up here. We'd love to have you come and pray with us afterwards. But if you just want me to pray with you right where you are and you just uh, slip up your hand, I'll see it and, and I'll pray. And more importantly, obviously, God sees. Would you do that? All right. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Thank you. Lord, every, all of my ministry life, I've heard pastors say the phrase, God sees your hands. But he really does. It's not a phrase that we just use to make anyone feel good or to make them feel like someone sees what they're dealing with. I love the fact that you really do. And that you didn't remove yourself or keep yourself at a distance, but you came and showed us how you love, care, your compassion, and your tenderness. And so for those who raised their hands this morning, Whatever it is that they're dealing with in these days, I trust that God, in the middle of all of it, you'll show yourself in really powerful ways, in a quiet moment, in a friend, in a card, in a smile, in a greeting, in a story. Whatever that may be, I trust that, Father, you will draw them closer and deeper in a very unusual way. And so they'll, in a sense, hear that tap on their shoulder saying, I'm here. I understand. I get it. I'm walking with you. I love the fact that, Father, you came and you said, those who are weak and weary and heavy laden, come to me and you'll give us rest. And sometimes in the middle of this crazy season, we need a lot of rest. And for those who need that this morning, I trust you will grant that to them. May your glory and grace continue to abound as we walk out of these doors today into a world that does wonder what this season is all about, may we show them, share with them in love and tenderness what this season is all about and how it's changed our lives and encourage them to find the Christ that we have found. So bless us and use us in really profound ways in these days as we share with others what we have found in you. Thank you for coming and finding us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're honored and delighted that you're here this morning. I 
in the very first service looked at the clock and thought it stopped because I'd finished so early until I realized that it did it again. And I finished early again. And I can't even buy you a coffee and donuts. So uh, I still owe $473 from the last time I said that. But uh, we're so delighted that you're here. Please just give them a, a next few minutes to finish up with the kids in their hour so that they can enjoy it to fullest and maybe get to know some people you don't otherwise know. If I can pray for you in any way, love to do that. This morning on your way out, you come this way. God bless you. Have a great day. See you next Sunday.